We're in Luke chapter 14. We're going to take a larger chunk today, and we're going to do 14 verses today. So if you were here last week, we talked about if a group was against you, if you knew that there was a group who wanted to see your demise, who looked for ways to just set you up for failure and hated you, would you want any association with them? Now, how many of us can honestly say that we can love somebody when we're in the midst of the conflict with them, when we're in the heat of the conflict with them, that we can do that. And Jesus does, and and what an example Jesus is to living out the gospel. See, Jesus knew what his purpose was, and nothing was going to deter him from that. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So it didn't matter who was against him, what was against him, he was going to do what God had him do. And the Pharisees, who were strongly opposed to Jesus, uh, at every corner really, they were looking to damage his credibility at every chance that they had. And we see that here again in chapter 14. So here we go, verse 1, chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So it's just like any other Sabbath. Jesus went to eat. I am strongly convinced that Jesus liked to eat. There are probably not too many of us who can love our enemies like Jesus, but I think there are a lot of us who are like Jesus in liking to eat. Now, if following Jesus were only that easy, I would be a saint. But we know that Jesus had no home, right? He's, he's, he had no home. No pillow to lay his head, nowhere to lay his body. And since it was the Sabbath, it's not like takeouts available in in Jesus' time, right? And also, it's the Sabbath. So what people had to do was they had to prepare their meals the day before. They they could not kind of work during that day. So they prepared the meals the day before, and then they kind of just brought it out. And, and, And I have little doubt that Jesus was invited to eat with people on a regular basis. Jesus is a cool guy. People heard him speak. People heard what he did. People saw what he did. Of course he was invited to people's houses all the time and so I think this is what's happening in Luke chapter 14 now given the history with the Pharisees and how they viewed Jesus I find the intent behind having this meal with a ruling Pharisee to be pretty suspicious I don't know if you do listen to this Jesus went to dine at the house of a a ruler of the Pharisees so a leader of the Pharisees and they were watching him carefully I think there was a lot of interest in how Jesus did things, and it's not that different from today when people kind of admire a celebrity or or an athlete, you know, and they carefully analyze everything they do. That's why you have, like, the paparazzi and all this kind of stuff, right? You guys are interested in People magazine, all this kind of stuff, right? I don't know what the other ones are out there. I need to go to my sister's bathroom to find that. So you analyze everything, right? So, for example, a few months ago, I was at a restaurant with my mom, and at the table right next to us was this very, very popular Latino actor. Honestly, my mom and I have no idea who this guy is, but he looked beautiful. And so he also had a large entourage, a lot of people around him, must have been his managers and bodyguards and stuff like that, I don't know, but everyone was just kind of like serving him and so people were were going to the table from around us in the restaurant and taking pictures with him and asking him for autographs on their napkins and they're all doing this stuff right and so we could see that the people around this guy's table they're leaning in hearing every word he's saying and looking at him and just just how he's oh did you see how he cut his fish he drinks iced tea 
Like, they're so, like, excited. And so people from the kitchen are coming out, too. So they're, you know, with the aprons, all dirty cooks and chefs and stuff. They're coming out and asking this guy for autographs and pictures. And then the waitresses and waiters. And everyone's coming out. And so finally I had to stop one of them and ask, Who is he? She was shocked. She was like, Ay, Dios mío. You don't know who he is? And I was like, I don't know who he is. Sorry, I don't know who he is. He says, Ay, mijo. He's the largest actor in Latin America. Ay, mijo. You don't, have you ever heard about novelas? I was like, I've heard of novelas. Yeah, I've heard of novelas. And you don't know who he is? <laughs> That's what he did. Now, maybe you guys don't know what this means. But when a Mexican lady wants to call you stupid, she doesn't call you stupid. She does it by the rolling of her eyes, the flick of the hand, and saying, Ch. That's how she does it. That's how it's done. Right? My maternal grandfather was born in Mexico. My mom's raised in Mexico. I grew up in Elysian Park in L.A. Went to school in La Puente. I visited my relatives in Mexico all the time. So I know when somebody's calling me stupid in Mexican. Ch. So anyway, the point is people watch someone they admire, right? And, and here Jesus is, is going to a ruling Pharisee's house where some people were watching Jesus in admiration and, and the Pharisees were watching Him carefully. But I think they were watching Him differently. They're not watching Him out of admiration. They are watching Him with contempt. And they were setting up Jesus to accuse Him of breaking a law. Because doesn't this seem like a setup to you? Right, he, he's going to eat at the house of a, a ruler of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. And it just so happens that this sick guy with dropsy is there. It just happens to be that this guy who needs to be healed is there on a Sabbath. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. First of all, what's dropsy? It's not really a term that we use nowadays. We use more the term of edema or... Um, uh, swelling. That's, those are kind of the terms we use, but that's what it essentially is. So, so this man had this unusual buildup of fluid under his skin or, or under one or more of his cavities. He was swelling. And so something was not working properly in him, medically, biologically, and something was going on in his organ or organs to cause this kind of buildup of fluid, this inflammation, this swelling. It's, it's, it's a symptom of something going on within So what we can gather is that something medically was seriously wrong with this person, with this guy's body, to show this type of symptom. Now we don't have time to go into all of that, and really, really, I'm so excited to talk about things like that, because I I love doing nerdy things like that, but we don't have time, and if you're interested, then just research dropsy or edema, and we would have pulled up the same research, because we have the same internet. Anyway, so here we have this guy with dropsy, swelling, edema, and sure, we, we want to give the Pharisees of the benefit of the doubt that, that they just wanted to have Jesus over for you know a nice falafel or something. But this isn't typical of, of the Pharisees, is it? This is not typical of them. It's more in line to think that the Pharisees were plotting how they were going to catch Jesus, violating this religious law on the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath by healing this guy. So they plot to have this guy with dropsy come in on the Sabbath, and they plant him there. And it wouldn't be the first time that they were trying to catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath. Right? They knew Jesus was a compassionate man. 
They knew Jesus' heart would be out for this guy. And so it wouldn't be all that difficult just to go out and say, like, hey, you know a guy that needs to be healed on the Sabbath? Jesus is coming over. Let's, let's bring him over. And so they're like, perfect. I, I know the perfect guy. He, he's, been, he, he's had dropsy, and doctors can't do anything about it. And Jesus loves when people can't do anything about it, and you bring those people because he can do something. And so we'll bring this guy, and it'll be perfect. We're going to nail Jesus for breaking the Sabbath. He's not going to get away from us this time. We are going to catch him right there at the ruler of the Pharisee's house. This is great. Now, there are three things I'd like for you to keep in mind in this morning's teaching. So here's a little alliteration to help you with that. So keep these things in mind this morning as we go through the scripture. Hypocrisy. Humility and hospitality. Hypocrisy, humility, and hospitality. So first of all, hypocrisy. So you recall in chapter 12, verse 1 in Luke, Jesus warned his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Not much changed in two chapters. Still have to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy in chapter 14. So they still have to be out on the lookout for this. And so how are the Pharisees being hypocrites here? Let's think about this for a little moment. Well, first of all, inviting Jesus to their house under the pretense of friendship, of hospitality, of kindness. Jesus was invited to have a meal at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, but was it really just simply a meal out of the kindness of their heart, out of being hospitable? Because it really looks like a setup to catch Jesus violating the Sabbath, breaking Jewish religious law. That's what it looks like. Because it just happens to be a guy with dropsy that's there on the Sabbath at the ruling Pharisee's house. Now, how many of us are guilty of hypocrisy in our life? Eight. Okay. <laughs> So, the eight of you are innocent. The rest of you are hypocrites. No. How many of us are like Luke chapter 18, verse 11, with the Pharisee who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. They're so quick to judge other people without taking inventory of your own stuff, your own hypocrisy. Because we're all guilty of hypocrisy, aren't we? You know, remember the, the time that you had ill will towards someone or ill feelings towards someone and, and you saw them and, and you gave them that handshake or that hug and like, oh, so good to see you. Oh. Ah, ah, good to see you. Let's see you later. How many of you have done that? Where you've, you've just kind of like pretended when inside you, you, you don't want anything to do with them. Or, you know, you've invited someone over, but you hid why you really invited them over. Because this happened to me. You know, I, I, I hadn't heard from this friend in years back in the college days, and suddenly I hear from them. They invite me over, and they're saying, Hey, you know, um, come on over. We got some food. We got some old friends. Uh, just It'd be good to see you. It's been a long time. So I go over, and uh, it starts out with some finger foods and some stuff like that. And then some guy in a suit comes out the front, and he breaks out this white board with markers. And he starts to... I'm like, Pictionary? Like, this is kind of cool. Why is he wearing a suit, though? 
Why do you wear a suit when you're doing Pictionary? And he's, you know, he's putting stuff up. And, and I was it's like, no, you did not do this to me. And so it was one of those multi-level marketing things. And he's going, I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. I got duped. The food wasn't even good. And so, you know, or maybe you've come to church. But you've come to church for the wrong reasons. This one might get a little bit closer to home here. So you, you're, you're here, and, and so we're, we're about worship, and we're about prayer, we're about studying the Word of God, we're about fellowship, we're about you know be, being here for one another and, and having communion. But you came to the service because you are hypercritical, and you like to nitpick everything. And so, oh, they don't do this right, they don't do that right, and you're just kind of like looking at everything, how it's done, when it's done, who's doing it. And now I'm not talking about people who are just genuinely uh, curious or concerned or, or ga- wanting to gain understanding or seeing if this is a good fit for your church home. I'm talking about those folks who just kind of come and they just like to nitpick and cause dissension and divide and go on telling other people how they should do things better and all this stuff when they're not doing anything at all. Or maybe you're just coming to church to pretend to be a part of church when you're really just, you know, pretending to listen to the sermon and interested and your eyes are on me and you're just nodding your head and you're leaning a little bit. But all the meanwhile, you're thinking about the 49ers this afternoon. Hey, we got ya! Alright, so... So focus! I am Alex Smith. No, um, Maybe you've come to church pretending those things. I don't know. Have you been around those people who you think they memorize like a ton of Bible verses because they throw Bible verses out in their prayer and they throw it out when you're talking to them. But after a while, you've been with them a while, you you notice they throw out the same five verses. It's the same five verses. Well, listen. And it's, it's the same one. And then it's the same one. And they show themselves to be really biblically literate and that they know a lot of stuff. But it's the same five verses. And so it's just hypocrisy, right? Hypocrisy isn't too hard to find within ourselves. I mean, that's pretty easy to do, right? It's all within us. And so in our text today, it's all over the place. It's in the Pharisees' setup. It's, it's in they're portraying themselves as friends of Jesus. It's inviting him over for a meal on a Sabbath and inviting another guy who has dropsy and planting him there. And not only were they underhanded in plotting against Jesus, they were taking advantage of a sick man. You ever thought about that? Right? They're taking advantage of a sick guy. And that's kind of sick, isn't it? The guy has dropsy. And you're going to go just kind of take advantage of the situation, holding a sick man ransom as a part to uh, plot against Jesus. I mean, these guys are sick. And so you observe their answers, which are also full of hypocrisy. Verses 3 through 6. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So you notice that. Jesus asked the question, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And how did they answer? Silence. Then Jesus asked a second question, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? How did they answer? They couldn't. See, Jesus is incredibly perceptive. In the middle of all this stuff, he, he picks up on what's going on. I see what you guys are doing. Guy with dropsy, Sabbath, I'm at the ruler of Pharisee's house, all you guys are looking at me really carefully. 
I see what's happening. So Jesus has a couple things that he can do here. He can stand up and just take off, or, or him being the wisest man to ever live on this earth has some pretty good questions for them. And I think we can all agree that the Pharisees had attitude towards Jesus. Things that might be debatable is whether, um, I don't think the Pharisees were really setting that guy up. I think they really, he invited them over and then just this just so happened. Maybe so. I don't think so, but maybe so. I can, I can let that go. I think what we can all agree on is there is a group of Pharisees that really don't like Jesus and they have some attitude towards him and they want to catch him breaking a religious law because he has a following and they want to accuse him of doing something wrong because that's in the Bible. So Jesus sees what's going on here and he takes the offensive. He's not just going to sit down and let them kind of do this thing to him and wait for them to pounce on him and then act defensive. He, He sees what's going on. He's perceptive. He goes on the offensive and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And he does this even before healing the guy. Now we know according to rabbinical customs, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath if someone's life was in danger. That that's lawful. So if they answered, yes, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath in this case, their colleagues around them would be thinking, you dummies, couldn't you pick somebody else that was like dying or not dying? Like somebody that it's so one extreme or the other so that he had to make a decision and then we could nail him for that? So preferably not dying so then he can't heal them. Someone who had the flu. Why can't you do that? Or some of them may be thinking, if we answer yes, our colleagues, our fellow Pharisees are going to think that we're compromising. And we don't want to lend out that perception. So even if they went all the way back to the law of Moses that he received from God, there's nothing in there instructing them to disengage from acts of mercy on the Sabbath. It never instructs to do that. This is just some of the stuff that they came up with on their own, some legalism that they came up with on their own. So they can't answer yes. Can they answer no? If they answered no, it is not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then their knowledge of the law could be in question. There are some other people around there. It's, just, it's not just Pharisees. And so the people around them would wonder, who's the God that you're following? No. So this man is in obvious need of healing. And if you guys are so merciless, you're misrepresenting God. So they cannot answer yes, and they cannot answer no. Jesus asked a brilliant question. It's brilliant. If they say yes, they're looked down upon by their colleagues. If they say no, they're looked down upon by the people. They have to be quiet. Verse 4, but they remained silent. So Jesus waited for an answer. No answer. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And then the second question. Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Is it just me or do you find it funny that Jesus equates sons and oxen? But the obvious answer to that question is yes. You would pull them out immediately. I mean, for sure you'd pull the ox out immediately if they fell into the the sun. I don't know. Depending on how much of pain in the neck they've been in your life, right? You let them swim for a while. Hey, how is it down there? Good temperature? Cold, huh? <laughs> Remember when you took the car out? 
yeah. You're going to swim for a little bit. You know? um, so, you know, but the ox for sure. You'd be like, oh, my poor ox, get him out. If they answered yes, they'd have to admit that they're wrong. Right? If the Pharisees answer no, then they'd be publicly lying in front of everyone because everyone knows full well that if their son or their ox fell down the well, that they would pick him up. So, they have to keep silent. You can't answer either way. Either way, you're wrong. So, they, they couldn't reply to these things. So, so, you see how difficult it is for some people to repent? You see how difficult? Because sometimes we're like this. We can't answer yes and we can't answer no because we'd be wrong. And we don't want that. And these guys, like us, could have done something though. Repent. Admit you're wrong. Jesus, you're right. And I'm sorry. We, we did all this stuff to prove you wrong. And, and we've been opposed for you so long. And it's obvious that you are God. I'm wrong. I'm sinful. I'm a hypocrite. Forgive me. I want to follow you. That's not what they did. And that's not what a lot of people in our day do. They hold on to whatever it is. They remain silent. They don't choose yes or no. They kind of just hang on the fence and they just kind of go through life not making a decision when in fact that just continues to harden your heart. When you hear the real truth and you don't make a decision for that truth, your heart hardens more. And so what did they do? They continued to plot against Jesus all the way to the cross. Now this is a really important lesson here. Listen to this. Be very, very careful about holding on to false beliefs, false views that are in defiance to what is biblical. Alright, let me repeat that. Be very, very careful about holding on to false beliefs, false views that are in defiance to what is biblical. You read the Bible and you reason to yourself that that's not what the Bible means. That's not what the Bible is instructing. And you reason to yourself that what is plain and simple in the Bible, that that's not it. And you determine for yourself that that is not how you're going to understand and follow the Bible, even though the evidence is plainly presented before you in the Scriptures. And the reason for you not to accept what is plainly before you is not because it's difficult to understand, but it's because it's difficult for you to obey. The Pharisees can't answer Jesus' simple question because hypocrisy kills you silently. And I find it really interesting because the man with dropsy, something within him was killing him silently. You couldn't see it on the outside. It's some organ problem. right? Something's wrong within him that is causing these symptoms to come out. And so something inside was killing him. This swelling was a symptom of things not right on the inside. The same is with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is killing the Pharisees on the inside. And they were before Jesus and they were silent with these symptoms of things that weren't right. Namely, that you're silent. If you are silent, that is proof, that is a symptom that something is not right. Because you have no answer. So they couldn't come forward and they couldn't be healed. See, they dug their heels in, they wouldn't say a thing, they were just kept their silence. They just kept their dropsy, they just kept their own edema and they're just like, mm-hmm. Holding on to their false views in defiance to the Scriptures. 
So be careful about that. Sometimes we hold on to things that is valued in the world, but it's really not a value of the Scriptures, and we're holding on so strongly to those things, and it's hypocrisy. It's not because it's difficult for you to understand what is told to you by the Scriptures. It's difficult for you to obey. Now let's take a look at humility. Verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them. Now did you catch this? Jesus is a very, very perceptive man, a very perceptive God. You're not going to get away with very much. See, Jesus noticed how they were choosing places of honor. Right? So it's, it's like Southwest Airlines, right? If you're in Group C, the likelihood of you getting the first rows where you have more room, an exit row, or an aisle or a window in the first half of the plane, not going to happen. Not going to happen, right? So I remember when I started first flying Southwest back in the late 80s. Some of you... I don't even know if you were born yet. But I remember them giving out priority boarding passes just by groups. It was just A, B, or C, or 1, 2, 3. I don't remember what it was. But they just gave out a group designation based off of a grouping. And so if you've ever flown Southwest recently, you know that they don't do that anymore. They give you a grouping and a number, right? And then you have placards that tell you 1 through 5, and then 5 to 10, and then it goes all the way back, and it goes through. Like, so, so then it's a grouping like A, 1 through 50, B, 1 through 50, and it goes like that. Do you see how bad it's gotten that people can't be trusted with a grouping? Do you, do you see that? Do you realize that? Have you ever noticed that, like just sociologically, that we have to have placards with numbers on them anymore because we can't be trusted with just you're in group A? People are give me. I don't care if you're crippled. I don't care if you have babies. You know, and they're just kind of going there. And so this is kind of what's going on, right? You pay attention to what's going on so far. Jesus got invited to eat at a ruling Pharisee's house. There's a man with dropsy there. He asked a question, completely silent. He healed the guy. He asked another question, completely silent. And so now it's this kind of awkward silence. I think. Have you ever been there? That's what this is. And so I'm not sure how the silence was broken, but the people started taking their seats. Right? They started taking their seats in this house. And you'd have to imagine that he's a ruling Pharisee, so this guy has a pretty sweet house, a pretty sweet dining room. And so people started to notice that people started taking their places of honor. And so something to keep in mind is that the place of honor was the center. So you'd have to imagine kind of like a three-couch setup. So one couch on the bottom and then two couches on the side. And then people would be kind of on the couches. And they'd recline on their left side and they'd reach into the middle table and they'd eat their stuff. The best seat in the house is the one in the middle. The bottom of this kind of couch setup. And that center seat is the one which is the place of honor. That is the one that tells you you're somebody. And everyone wants to be around you. So this is the place of honor. And so all these guys are vying for this space. But this is a ruling Pharisee's house. So this, it's called a triclinium. There are multiple triclinium, so there are triclinia all over this guy's dining room to fit this guy. So that's why it says places of honor, not place of honor, because it wasn't like one triclinium and that's it. 
It says places of honor, so you, you get the sense, oh, there's several triclinia around this guy's dining room, and everyone's vying for, for that spot in each triclinium. So this is what he's talking about. You know, th- these couches that were put together, the center space, people vying for this spot. And so you think about this now. Is Jesus making friends here? He's been invited to this guy's house. He's calling the guys out with questions. They're quiet. All this kind of stuff. People start taking their seats, and then he tells them this. Jesus has not read how to win friends and influence people. Right, so verses 8-11, through 11, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when you, your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now when you guys go to a wedding reception, the typical setup is that the bride and groom are at the center of the room, right? And then from there, there's a seating arrangement, typically. That, you know, the wedding party is closest to the newlyweds, and then the family, they're surrounded by family, and all the tables that are closest to them are usually family. And then it's the closer friends, and it kind of goes by how close you were to the wedding party. That's usually how it happens. And you really find out how close you were if you happen to sit next to the bathroom. That, that's, wow, I thought we were closer than that. So Jesus told them, hey guys, you got to chill out on the best seats. You are all fighting for that center seat. Right? So can you imagine going to a reception of a, a friend of yours and you think that they are your best, bestest friend. And so you sit next to them. He says, uh, yeah, um, that's for my wife. And so he goes, you go to the other side and he was like, my best man sitting there. And then you keep going down and, he's, and they have to keep telling you that, oh, that's the, that's the groomsmen and groomsmen and groomsmen and wedding party. Uh, that's my mom and dad. Uh, that's my grandparents. And then, and then you keep going, you keep going, and then, oh, that's my friend, and that's my friend, and that's my friend. And then by the end of it, you're at the seat by the bathroom. This is kind of how it is. And so here you are, you can imagine that what's going on in the heads of these guys who fought so hard to get to that center triclinium seat, and Jesus tells this parable. Because Jesus is not just directing the guys who actually got the seat. Jesus is talking to everyone who fought for that seat, even if you didn't get it. Even if you ended up sitting far away and you still fought for that seat, you're still guilty of the same thing of the guy that got the actual seat. So he's saying this, and and he's wondering, you guys are struggling with all this pride and this lack of humility. And so something for us to keep in mind is, We know that the seat of honor is not determined by the guest. It's determined by the host. Right? When you're invited to a wedding, you don't determine where you sit. The host, who's the person putting on that party, determines that. And so we don't earn our place in the kingdom of God. It's God's grace that we've been invited to the party. His invitation has been given to us. And our seat in heaven isn't determined by how many people we can push out of the way. It's not a limited amount. You don't have to fight to, to get there. Now how different is that from our world? 
the workplace, the classroom, whatever environment you find yourself in, and you're fighting for position, whether it's popularity, to be known, to be the best athlete, to be the best student, to be whatever it is, and you fight for that, and you're battling someone to get the top position. And you see, we, we may be able to fight our way to the best places in the world, but that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, if you think that you have the best seat in the kingdom of God and you try to fight your way to get there, the best way, and you're like, I'm going to get there, I'm going to battle my way there, and I'm going to end up there in the best seat in the world, you're going to end up sitting next to the throne. You are. The porcelain throne. right? You're going to be the seat in the bathroom. Right? That's not going to work. The place of honor is up to the host. It's not up to the guest. So, you don't believe me? Try sitting in first class the next time you buy a coach ticket when you go on an airplane. <laughs> Try it. You're not going to be sitting there for long. The host is going to bump you. But have you ever been upgraded to business class or first class? It wasn't because of you. The host. Whether it was a stewardess or the pilot or somebody on that airline who was hosting you on that plane, they are the ones that did that for you. It's the same thing here, right? And it's happened to me several times too, where I've been bumped up to business class or first class. And the funny thing is, it's never happened when I've gone on vacation or business travel or leisure travel. It's always happened to me when I've gone on a mission trip or gone on a pilgrimage. That's when it's happened to me. So I need to do more of those. It's the same thing in heaven. Jesus, as the host, has gained us entry into the kingdom of God. You and I couldn't do that without his death on the cross, without his resurrection from the grave. We can't do that. You and I cannot earn our way into heaven. Yes, there's effort. You have to purchase a ticket. You have to go to the airport. You have to check in baggage. You have to go through security. There's an effort, but you don't earn your way to heaven. Jesus paid it all. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we know that Jesus is incredibly perceptive and that there's no way we're going to work the system, right? We, we know that. And so Jesus knows our hearts, and so we aren't able to do the false humility thing and fool people like we, we often do. You can't fool Jesus. Because we can easily fool people. I do this all the time. The hypocrite that I am. I know that in a Taekwondo gathering, there's a hierarchy. Grandmasters first, and then there's a flat table, grandmasters in the center, and then little masters all to the end. Or bigger studios, larger student bodies towards the center, and then everyone else towards the end. I always sit on the end. Always. But I'm a hypocrite, because I know what that does for me. Oh, Master Robert, come here. Come here, sit here, center. And I'm in the center. And I think I'm all that. <laughs> Look at me. Center. Youngest one by far here. You know? And so that's just my hypocrisy. I'm not going to be able to pull that off with Jesus. Because he's going to be like, oh, at the end, you deserve to stay there. And so, so you know, you can't fool Jesus. And we can't do that. And how challenging this is for us, huh? See, in the world, we can just kind of take the lowest seat. And I, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be elevated. 
I'm pretty sure. I go to a pastor's conference or anything like that, I always take the lowest seat. I'm pretty sure they're going to move me up. It's just the hypocrite in me. I know this. I can play the system. In God's kingdom, stay there. In God's kingdom, it doesn't work like that. See, God looks at the heart. And if we take the lowest seat, He may just concur with our decision because our heart really isn't one of humility, isn't one of humbleness. And like, yep, you're there. You're right. You picked the right seat. But at least I would have picked the right seat. But if we're truly humble, then we'll be exalted. Not the false humility thing of just taking the last seat because you take the last seat. But yeah, you don't, you're, you're, you don't belong there. And Jesus brings us further up. And this is more difficult than we thought, isn't it? Because how many of us truly know the humility within our own hearts? And, and that's really challenging. Because how often do you do things without thinking about what you can get in return? This is really hard for me. I always want something in return. Whether it's a thank you, or a compliment, or someone to notice me, whatever it is, or owe me a favor for doing something, whatever it is, how often is the motive completely pure? Just pure. And it's probably not often. It's a pretty tough thing, I think. At least for me. And it's not this formulaic, methodical, planned out operation. This is a heart thing. This is a heart condition. So what humility is in the eyes of God is the recognition that it's all Jesus. That it's all the host. That without Him, without His death on the cross, without His resurrection from the grave, there is no grace, there is no mercy from God. We don't deserve His mercy and His grace. We're sinful. We deserve justice, which is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That humility is what will save you. That humility is what will give you peace. That humility is what will give you joy. You ever wonder why people don't experience salvation, peace, and joy? I think it's a lack of humility. When you think about peace for a moment, let's just pull out peace. So peace in relationships, whether it's your marriage or a relationship with your parents or friends or your children, uh, whatever relationship that is, wouldn't it be a lot more peaceful if the parties involved had humility in their hearts. Because when you think about the quarreling that happens, isn't it often due to the lack of humility? You wronged me. I can't believe you did that. I wouldn't do it that way. What were you thinking? It's this pride of thinking that you know you know better, that something has been violated with you. How much better would it be if you just took stances of humility? And said, I can be wrong. It's possible that I'm wrong in this and let's talk about this. How much better would your life be if you didn't think everyone around you owed you something? If you didn't feel entitled to things? That you deserve better than what you currently have? I mean, give me a break. You deserve better? Really? 
justice in the eyes of God would be death. You're not dead. You got a pretty good deal. Right? How much better would your life be if you recognized just the small blessings in your life? That you took another breath. That you saw the sunrise again. That you feel the wind on your skin. And you just recognize these small things and you realize what you do have and you don't fight your way towards the places of honor because it's the host that gives that stuff anyway. They are the one that gives that place anyway. You and I are guests. We're guests. And how difficult it is to find true humility nowadays. right? How easy it is for that ugly head of pride to, to peek out of our hearts. Why is that? I think the ugly head of pride kind of shows itself because we don't die to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. And I think a lot of us like to sit at that place of honor and we don't like to simply be a guest. We want to be that person's homeowner. We want to take over. right? A guest is someone in someone else's home. And we like to be thought of better than we actually are. I can't believe I'm sitting next to the bathroom. I thought I'm a better friend. Or I'm family. How come I'm sitting so far from the, the groom and the bride? And we have these thoughts, and we think that we're better than we actually are. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that we are to belittle ourselves or to talk down on ourselves and to like say, oh, I'm so terrible, woe is me, and I can't believe I'm, all, I'm just a piece of junk, and I don't, believe, I don't deserve to live and all that. I don't believe in that either. I think we need to be honest. We just need to be honest. You don't have to do the false humility and talk down yourself. And you don't have to do the false pride thing and talk yourself up. Just be honest. Don't think that you're more than you really are. And don't think less than you really are. And I think we get into trouble when we aren't honest. We aren't honest with ourselves. And I think more people struggle with thinking themselves to be more than less, though. That's what I think. But the honesty thing is this. We're all sinners saved by Jesus Christ. We all need Jesus. So why would any of us ever think we deserve the best seats? So that will help us not get so prideful. And the thing that will help us be not so down on ourselves is He died for us. We're His children. So, yeah, you're not nothing. You are not worthless. You are not dirt. He spilled His blood for you. He died for you. He was beaten for you. You are valuable. But don't think you're all that because you're also sinful. We're the children of the Most High. There's no reason to look down upon ourselves. So we've looked at hypocrisy, we've looked at humility. Lastly, let's take a look at hospitality, verses 12 through 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now some of you read verse 12, and you're so happy about that. Don't invite my relatives over? That's awesome! Like, oh, that's great. But is this what Jesus was really instructing? Is this what he's saying? 
Now, some of you probably wish that Jesus was literally saying this so you don't have to invite your in-laws over. But it's not meant to be interpreted literally. Sorry. If it was, then you go on and be your lonely self with no friends and estranged from your family, and you just go ahead and do that. Okay? But this isn't to be taken literally. So you take, for example, these statements that sometimes Christians mistake for taking literally when they're not supposed to be taken literally. For example, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19-20. through 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Does that mean that we don't save? That we don't invest? That we don't put food in the pantry, in the cupboards, in the refrigerator? Does it mean that? Because we're supposed to put everything in heavenly treasures. Don't you dare put food in there. You be a hunter-gatherer and just get your day's worth. Is that what that means? No, right? Jesus is telling us to prioritize. Prioritize putting our treasures in the kingdom of God. That's what He's saying. Or when we look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Does Jesus mean that He doesn't desire sacrifice? What is dying to self then? If he doesn't desire sacrifice. If you are a parent or if you're married, this is impossible. There is sacrifice, right? So it does not mean that. In that particular context, people were struggling with the understanding of mercy much more than sacrifice. So he had to address mercy. Jesus desires both, but they needed to be reminded that they were lacking in mercy. Or what about John chapter 6, verse 27? Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Are we not to work for food? No, right? Jesus was speaking about being consumed with profits, with tangible profits. And so, in this sense, food and putting that as the priority over spiritual profits, eternal life. So Jesus wasn't talking about not inviting your friends and loved ones to dinner anymore. He wasn't saying that. He was talking about prioritizing the extension of hospitality to people who don't have anything material to give back to you. They can't give you anything in return. So inviting your friends, inviting your family, inviting rich people over for dinner, that can be a good thing. And for some of you, inviting your family over for dinner, a good thing may be a questionable thing. But those other things, those are typically good things. And there's, there's definitely an earthly benefit to that, right? Like the closeness, the relationships. But don't forget the heavenly reward for extending hospitality to those who don't have anything to repay you back with. So Jesus is encouraging us to prioritize being generous in our hospitality, not just towards our friends and family and, and rich folks who can return a favor, but to those who have little or nothing to repay us with. Right? And it doesn't mean we get all legalistic about it and we require the invitation of those who can't repay us when we throw a party. Like, for every family member, I must invite someone who is homeless. Don't get all ridiculous like that. Don't be all legalistic like that. That's Again, that's just hypocrisy. Right? That's just hypocrisy. He does not want us to do things in a hypocritical fashion. He does not want us to do things and use our resources in a manner that bring glory to ourselves. Right, so you don't do that and bring glory to yourself. 
But you do those things, you use your resources in a manner that brings glory to God. See, no one has to know that you invited people that can't repay you. They don't need to know that. There are some things that are done in secret between you and the Lord. No one else needs to know about those things. I believe secrecy is a really important spiritual discipline. You don't have to tell everybody all the good stuff that you do. Right? And it's good to keep things that you do for the kingdom of God secret. It's not for man anyway. So you keep those things in secret. And I'd like to encourage you to beware of hypocrisy. To walk in humility and to value hospitality. And if we keep these lessons in mind, we're going to be more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these lessons. And I pray, God, that you would help us to uh, internalize these things and live them out. In Jesus' name, amen.